Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team. Cordless tools tailored for the world of motorsport. Hello everyone, welcome to Absolute Rally, episode 9, season 19. We're nearly at the end of uh, this particular season, or are we? Well, I guess we'll find out a little bit more further into the podcast. Um, genuinely, before we start this, okay, I am not informed enough on any type of virus to actually offer any kind of serious opinion in any way shape or form i'm sure you're completely and utterly inundated with information with what's going on in the world and i hope you're all safe and hope everybody stays safe but this isn't the platform for us to talk about it because trust me i haven't got dr jack Bengin with me have i jack no it's judge it's judge jack Bengin. i haven't got dr trevor agnew have i Trev? No, just a paramedic. Just a paramedic. There you go. Somewhere close. And I haven't got Dr. Ryan Champion. I'm not even sure what I am. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let somebody else come up with that one. We'll see you next Tuesday. We'll see you next Tuesday. Anyway, so uh, we're all here. We're all here to talk about, obviously, Rally Mexico and what is going on in the world of rallying at the moment. And I'm sure we'll talk about other stuff besides. But obviously, it was Rally Mexico this weekend, a shortened event. Um, should we do our predictions, boys? Should we revisit our predictions before we go any further? Should we, should we, should we handle the embarrassment that our predictions could have brought? Um, oh, you won. That's why you brought it up, for God's sake. Uh, not quite. Not quite. I'm being dead honest. Right. Okay. So Trevor Agnew, Sebastian Ogier, mm-hmm. Elvin Evans, Oitanach. Two out of three. Yeah. The top three. Sorry. Jack Bengen, Sebastian Ogier, Oitanach, Thierry Nouvelle. Yeah. Ryan Champion, Oitanach, Sebastian Ogier, Danny Sordo. Oh, well did it. That was brave. Um, and I was Sebastian Ogier, Elvin Evans, and Oitanach. There wasn't much mention of uh, Timu Sunanen in there. There was absolutely zero mention of Timu Sunanen. Um, bless him. And that's no disrespect to Timu. But uh, I don't think anybody expected uh, him to be there or thereabouts. Uh, but he was, and, and to be fair, probably right, as you spoke last, he probably ne- he probably needed something like that just to kind of reaffirm his own beliefs, because obviously we're, we're, we're year two now into this particular programme, and I guess some people were starting to ask a few questions. Well, I drafted him into my uh, virtual WRC team for the weekend, and I, I just think it was maybe that that he took as inspiration. Is that, is that what the difference yeah. was? Yeah, yeah, you know, so so I was quite pleased with, with his uh, performance, really. Um I think, yeah, we, we've chatted about him and, and obviously Esapeka Lapi's come into the team and, and obviously had a difficult weekend in Mexico, but he's, he's come into the team and, and done a great consistent job and, and team has been struggling. So it, it's definitely the, the performance that he needed. And uh, he he looked great all weekend, didn't he? I mean, he he, he was obviously under pressure from Tanak. I think we, we knew Tanak was going to push him hard and probably catch him after his earlier problems, but he didn't make a mistake. He, he kept it clean all weekend and brought him a great podium for, for the team. So I think not only for him, but also for M Sport, it, it's a boost because they were, uh, you know, somewhere near the pace again after just uh, looking for solid results previously. Jack, he probably needed a little bit of good news. Obviously, we, we've seen the, the horrendous footage of, of, of what happened to obviously the sister car to that with, with, with EPs car um first and foremost the the amazing foresight that he had to to get that car away from everybody and drive it as far as he could um i thought it was phenomenal really yeah showed a lot of bravery i mean there's an element of uh, you know well ryan will be able to confirm this but i think that that's kind of standard practice if 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 that's happening you kind of drive away to try and put the fire out with with a bit of uh you know getting a bit of air into the car but you know for definite 
you know, there was obviously spectators there and that was obviously in, in consideration. So, yeah, um, you know, a lot of uh, selflessness there from, from Eze Pekka to, to get that car away to, to safety. And, yeah, you know, I think it was a good performance from, from Timu as well. I just think, you know, uh, it's not these performances that we need to be talking about with Timu. We need to be, you know, seeing a lot more of them because he's just way too inconsistent at the moment. Trev, just 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 briefly, just going back to that. Mo, I don't know whether you've seen the, the, the footage of, of of you know. Sadly, it's one of those moments. There's nothing worse for me uh, when you know when there has been a fire at a rally car when the driver's being interviewed and the car's still burning behind and there was a bit of footage of a VP being, being, being interviewed and the, the fire brigade finally turned up and there's absolutely nothing left of that car um, for them to, to actually do anything with. And, and you know, it must be soul-destroying for, for the team because we all know M Sport are on a budget and everything else, but of course, with All Live and and when All Live is, 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 is working right for everybody, we know they had some issues over the weekend, but when... The team are watching back at base, and you know, unfortunately, they all they can see is the, you know, whatever X amount of pounds they've put into that rally car, and and you know, it must be it must be heartbreaking for the team to watch that happen. It is absolutely horrible. I had that experience myself in 2005 in Cyprus uh, with Mark Higgins with a car that had only 90 kilometres on it, and uh, it was a power steering hose. I think it came adrift, and uh, and you literally lose the car. And no matter what you can you do with fire extinguishers on the spot, you can't you can't cope with it as a fuel or an oil fire. So you just have to stand there and watch it go up, which is just the most soul destroying thing you can ever experience in rallying, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's quite interesting, of course, in the in the heat of the moment. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean that. But in the moment when everything's happening like that at a stop control, what you tend to forget is the place where you've probably going to extinguish a fire with the most efficiency is a stop control because that's usually where the fire begins positioned and clearly you need to move it away from people but not too far so they can get out quite quickly but yeah, unless you've actually experienced it or you're out of stop control regularly like if you're reporting like I used to do then uh, you won't think that way so it, it's certainly um, horrible to see it happening and, and I really fear for M Sport now on the back of that because you know I imagine they get it quite tight anyway, and to lose a car of that magnitude, you know, the amount of money that's involved in it is, uh, they've even admitted that it'll certainly get them thinking about the future and what's going to happen. Um, just, just, just on that, um, just on the future, I am hopping around here ever so slightly, but there was a, there was a piece that came out, I don't know whether it was just before the event, Jack, and I'm sure you've probably seen it with regards to Thierry Vell's thoughts on, on new cars and what the future holds did you did you read that interview yeah i did and what what uh, obviously he, he, he's, i suppose he, he is a bit of an elder statesman now and everything else because he has been around you know for, for certainly this generation of world rally cars and obviously the, the the previous generation as well but you know it's it's the first time a driver's come out and kind of said this is you know to use the word he used these are going to be shit basically um, I think it's what we touched on last week. I think it's frustration um, that, that these things aren't sorted out. I think we're getting, you know, I think we're getting too close now to, um, you know, the start of the, well, these cars, you know, these these um, these teams want to be building these cars now and um, and, and really getting their, st- their teeth stuck into um, at that development cycle. And at the minute, they not only have they, they not got that ability. They've also um, not got anything to show to manufacturers coming into the championship to say this is what you'll be 
you know, this is this is the the car that you could be building, and, and does that sort of appeal to you or not? So uh, I think it's a bit of a summary of the situation where um, you know things are probably a little bit behind where they probably need to be, and I think the probably the biggest problem with that is that they announced the, the implementation of hybrid quite early and left a lot of lead time for for kind of working things out and, and discussing things. I think um, so. It's it's a it's a bit of a difficult one. I think maybe in hindsight the FIA wouldn't have confirmed so early that they were going to switch to hybrid and maybe give themselves a little bit more time to to get a you know a proper set of regulations sorted um but yeah it's it's um you know i think that kind of thing is um kind of uh, thrown into uncertainty now isn't it over the next few months maybe the fia will be able to get their heads down and um and and work through this or maybe they'll be inundated with stuff that they need to sort out you know relative to the virus where that you know that this falls down the pecking order even so it's really interesting there's there's so many questions that the obviously we don't want to talk about the virus too much but there's so many questions that it that it brings up in the background that people don't really think about and you know thinking about 2022 regulations and things like that doesn't seem too far away but you know the the, the teams and well we've already seen that Toyota's already running its 2021 car and you know the teams and manufacturers want to want to get their you know want to get their feet down and get on the ground running Right, um, you know, just going back to to what what Trev said, then obviously what we've just been talking about there. Obviously, we know this is going to hit M Sport hard. We would like to assume that you know that there will be another car, you know, produced. Obviously, because we we know obviously drive, you know, certainly two of the out of the three drivers do bring budgets of, of of some degree. So, you know, they will be perhaps forced to build another car, or they'll have another car that they can that they can use certainly. But you know. How losing a car like this when there's another, you know, after this season, there'll be another 12 months and then we're on a completely new set of regulations. That's, that's, that's really, really, you know, that's really, really tough. You know, I was up at M Sport, uh, obviously doing the rally at the weekend and, you know, seeing the developments and the work that's going on, obviously with the, 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 the proven facility that they're building there and stuff like that. There's obviously a lot of money going in the infrastructure of the company to, 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 to strengthen it outside of WRC. But, you know, to replace a world rally car, you know, even, even for them is, it's still a six figure digit. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we've mentioned before just how expensive this current generation of cars are. And uh, unfortunately, that means losing one is, is even more painful. And uh, I think uh, I'm not sure the the current policy, but, you know, it, a, a lot of teams would have in the past insured cars, but insurance has become very expensive over the years. And, and I think M Sports policy over the last few years has been to, to self-insure, as it were, to, to have a pot that you you pay into and uh and should you have an incident, then then there's some money set aside. But with the best will in the world, if a, if a car is uh, a car can have a very big accident and and it can be rebuilt, reshelled, whatever, you can save a lot of components. Whereas obviously a fire, you lose everything. And you know, as, as Trev said, it's it's one of the worst things to see in rallying is a a car going up in flames and. Unfortunately, nowadays with modern fire extinguishers, with uh, you know they have to be environmentally friendly. And uh, I was sure I was just about to come to you about this because I remember this happening more, you know, more so local to you know the BRC days, and you know seeing. Uh, I I always think of Johnny Milner's car. Yeah, that's yep. the one that always kind of sticks with me. And was that that was around the time it was Halon, wasn't it? We had Halon extinguishers, uh, or have I got it the wrong way round? Where we yeah, lost, I think that's right. I think that's yeah, right. We we lost hail on extinguishers, and the extinguishers that came in basically, you know, if 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 anything gets any bigger, then re- realistically you're losing the car. 
Yeah, and I think uh, I don't think it's uh, obviously you're not allowed to use them as the fire system, but I think he can still carry one in, in a car, or he could for a long while, because I know some people ran like an extra extinguisher that was uh, full of something harmful, if you like, but it was good at putting fires out, and uh, it it is unfortunate. There's a lot of heat in a in a turbo car. There's a lot of heat in a world rally car. There's a lot of heat from diffs, from transmission, as well as from the the turbocharged engine and uh you know it does seem that once these cars set alight you know we, we remember watching craig breen painfully lose a, a citroen and uh you know there was nothing he could do and unfortunately we've we've seen it more and more and i think it's a couple of things like i said there's a lot of heat involved and, and the extinguishers just uh, unfortunately it don't seem man enough for the job nowadays but uh going back to the point it, it is terrible for m sport to lose a car like that it's a big hole in the budget because like i said even if a car is heavily damaged they, they normally think they can rebuild it yeah, yeah. Thoughts to everybody at, at M Sport. Obviously, during during this difficult time of of of, of replacing a World Rally car, which is uh, as we've just been talking about, very very painful. If we can talk about um, Hyundai's weekend, boys. Which um, you know, we we obviously we we jokingly did our predictions at the, at the top there, and we mentioned we mentioned Danny with obviously with with his problem, and then obviously you know Thierry having his problems. Trevor, it's uh, it's 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 one of a weekend which I probably high and I would probably even with 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 a strong finish for Oit. Oit never seemed quite a hundred percent happy either. It was it it was one that they probably needed to grind out and one which which they, they probably need to go back to base and during this downtime is, is figure out what really what went on. Yeah, they don't have a great record in Mexico, and uh, it sounds like Danny's initial problem was uh, was a finger problem and that something hadn't been tightened. Uh, and what? All accounts that I've read, and uh, yeah, he, so Danny is tipped by a lot of people to to win the event to have his third win there, and uh, and that just knocks his stuff and I do you can't you can't really recuperate from that or recover from that. Uh, Neville just didn't seem to be on it, you know, even running second behind Elvin the first day. I think this is a bit of an issue they high on days as well, from what I can gather, is on really loose surfaces it seems to struggle with traction. So he was struggling to to beat. Uh, Elvin's times, who was first on the road on the first morning, I remember. Um, so he didn't really get into it, and of course, then uh, at the end of uh, the first day, the issue that retired him for the day as well. Uh, Tannock, you know, if he hadn't had his mistake, he could have went on and pressured uh, Ogier potentially into winning it. Um, but it's great to see him back there, getting a bit more confidence. Um, but they definitely have the work to do. They can't just go to rallies like in Finland, for example, and say, OK, we're not competitive here. And I think that's certainly something that Mr. Damo has been banging the drum about. Uh, if you seriously want to win the championship, uh, you have to be competitive in every rally. And, you know, Toyota seem to be competitive in most rallies. Jack, it, 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 you know, everything we've just been saying there, obviously taking that into account. But, you know, it was it was a weird weekend because... High and I won 15 out of 21 stages, but they only had one car finish. Um, you know, we, 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 I think last season we spoke about concerns and I think Oitanak was very, very vocal, of course, uh, about reliability and, and Toyota is, you know, is he unfortunately took that, that, that little bit of bad luck with him to, to, to his new team because, you know, that, that's not what, you know, it's kind of a bit of a role reversal really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, not good enough, mind I. Simple as that, really. Um, you know, Adamo's mantra is always that the you know that they need to improve on the areas where they're weak, and they're, they're just not doing that. 
you know the the car is not good enough on the first run through stages or as trev said when it's on loose surfaces um you know the only thing they well i think they they did improve on uh, finland last year which has been a place where they've been really bad but a lot of areas still yet to improve on uh, reliability was an issue in mexico they lost two cars there last year with sordo leading the event and going out mickelson also went out after he was looking quite strong early on as well so you know same as last year if i die really they've not taken a step forward um even with you know, having you know, it's, it's great having Oit and, and Thierry in the team, but if you don't give them a reliable car or one that's good enough to do the job, then they're not going to win. And um, you know, I think at this point, Oit Sanat's got to be uh, kind of shaking his head a little bit and wondering what kind of decision he's made. Right? Were you surprised that Mexico was chosen to to debut some new aero by, by the Hyundai team? Um, I guess not necessarily. If if you're confident in your development, then you you bring it in as as soon as you possibly can. And as we've just alluded to, I think um, they are pushing hard in terms of development. Um, I think we're slowly seeing a picture that the Toyota is still probably the car to beat. I mean, obviously uh, Thierry was uh, fantastic in in Monte Carlo, but um, is it that the, the drivers are having to push that little bit harder in a in a Hyundai to keep up with the Toyota? I'm not sure, but they're certainly having to to push with development. So if you've got a new part, you bring it. Um, and and as as I think uh, everybody's just said, it they are still, or they are really under a bit of pressure now because we've got three Toyota drivers that we see going quickly um, and already the uh, the manufacturers championship if they're not careful will start to uh, slip away from them so they're going to have to react quickly uh, obviously we don't know what's going to happen in terms of, of the season in terms of rallies but uh, they have got a bit of time to think about their issues and um, you know they will have to push forward with development simple as that uh, Trev, just just going to Toyota, obviously just following off from what what, what Rise just said, they're obviously really strong points finish for, for them, and and um, I wouldn't mind your take on what we've seen from from Cali. Really, I, I I was just as impressed by this performance as I have been on any of the performances, and and I'll I'll qualify that uh, before I before I throw it to you. Is that I think it was very much um, a steady a, a steady drive. Um, throughout, and I think that was that was always the plan. I think it was about getting mileage and seeing what happened in front of him. This is my interpretation, by the way. I've seen what happened in front of him. Whatever happened in front of him, if people fell off, then he would he would climb the order that way. This was very much, you know, whether he was given a, a directive from from, from from Tommy, who knows? We'll never know. But to me, it was very much, you know, you go out there, you finish the rally, and wherever you finish, you finish. Exactly right. He, he, it was probably one drive on the rally. It might have got overlooked a little bit. Uh, it's just his ability to drive with a mature head on. Uh, as as I said to you before, it's been reflected in the last two years where there's only two events where he hasn't finished. Uh, over two years in the World Championship, that is. So, um, yeah, no doubt about it. He had a bit of a, a slow puncture, I think, on the first proper gravel stage. But remember, this is his first gravel rally at altitude in a world rally car where you're relying on uh, your intuition because the car is 25% down in power. It doesn't drive the same as it would do at his experience up to this level. So I'm sure Rai could help us uh, understand what that would look like. But that certainly changes the dynamic of the car. And, um, and he coped with all of that absolutely brilliantly well he had a gap that he managed and uh yeah another mature performance and he's definitely uh he's he's impressed me a lot this year as i expected yeah no to be fair i 
I, you know, I'm not being an after time. I genuinely didn't feel that perhaps, you know, I was very much on the, on, on the side of, you know, this, you know, we could get, he could get found out a little bit here. This, this to me yeah. is a little bit too soon. Yeah, um, if, you, if you think back to what happened at the end of Sweden where he went out gung-ho and he blew everybody away, including his team there, and to go on the on the par stage. And then it, a lot of people thought, well, this is the one. This is where we're really going to see this young, immature lad throw it all away. He didn't do that. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know what your take was on, on, on Cali's performance, but uh, did you read it the same as me or, or are you seeing something else? No, I, I I think I agree. But what I think is quite interesting with him is he he's obviously very determined, very competitive. He's always assessing his his own performance, and and much like the uh, the other Finns, he's always quite critical of himself. And we've heard that over recent years with the likes of Latvala. We've heard it with Lappi. Uh, we, we've heard it with Sunanen as well. But the difference with Kali Robinpera is his head doesn't drop. So if he does have a bad stage and if he's lost time and and you see that interview where he says, yeah, it's not good enough. I need to do better. Uh, you genuinely seem to think he's he's taking it on board and learning from it. Whereas the other Finns, we've actually seen the head drop and then the performance just disappears for the rally. Um, and importantly, that doesn't seem to happen with Cali Robin Perez. So I think he he has a, a mental strength uh, as well as an out and out speed. Jack, it's, you know, I think we were all, I think we were all probably a little bit surprised that Toyota went for a clean sweep of 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 driver lineup, and obviously the the the, the, the I suppose the the top two is is, is Seb and and, and Elvin. Um, we perhaps thought that Cali would end up in in maybe in a in a B team or whatever, you know, with with either Yari Matti or or, or 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 somebody else. But that hasn't happened. Your your take, not not so much so far, but your take on Mexico performance. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you've all covered it really well. I think Kelly performed well. I think he's performing, um, you know, kind of almost without pressure to a certain extent. Um, you know, he's not, I don't really think he's fighting for his seat. You know, I think we're, I don't think anyone's un- under any illusions that, you know, he's going to be in that car for a, for a little while now. And this year's about learning and, and getting to the end of rallies. We've seen him in the past, um, you know, be very critical of himself and, um, you know, be pushing too hard and, and make mistakes. He's not done that yet. He's fourth in the championship, two points behind Terry Nerville, the leading high on driver. So, you know, if you, if you said that to someone at the start of the year, Kylie Robin Perry is going to be within two points of Terry Nerville after three rounds. Uh, you know, I think everyone would be surprised at that. So, yeah, I think he's done a, I think he's done a good job. I think he's driven quickly and, and, you know, has, has delivered results. But I just can't believe how few people are talking about Sebastian Ogier again. To me, it's just, it, to, to me, it's just absolutely insane that this same thing happens every single season. You know, people criticise him because he's finished fourth or he's finished third. You know, we did on the podcast uh, after Monte Carlo, you know, quite critical of his uh, Monte performance and and where he was at. And, you know, Elvin had obviously taken to the car quickly and it looked like, you know, was this the end of the road for Sebastian Auger in his last season? Absolute nonsense. He's just shown it again in Mexico. You know, he, he drives to where he feels comfortable, delivers the performances that he thinks the car are capable of. And you know, look at it. He could have put, he could have pushed too hard and put himself off in Monty. He could have done the same in Sweden fighting Cali, but he didn't. Kept it on the road, and with three rallies in, and he's eight points clear at the top of the, top of the standings. It, it's just, it's just. A, I don't understand, you know, how people think anything else other than that. You know, he's the best driver out there, and he's the one to beat because this is what he does every single year, and it seems to be overlooked again at the moment. Maybe because it's, you know, and it's, it's, it's not. It's not uh, to use a word, I suppose. It's 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 easy to kind of get into that 
think it's not it's not sexy to think to use a term to think well you know he's just he, he's done it all over again you know people kind of want to see the chink in the armor don't they sorry i was just going to say that i think what was maybe slightly different in mexico was he'd, he'd, he'd established himself right through the rally you know and, and he was in a bit more of a comfortable position he didn't have to push beyond himself he just was driving at his speed and that was fast enough and i think that's maybe slightly different to what we saw in monte and sweden where he was going to have to take chances there to, to pull a better result whereas in mexico it just happened for him and he was comfortable and his speed was more than fast enough and i think that's maybe the, the slight difference there's that, and I still think, just coming back to you, Jack, I still think there's there's an element of, it's that, you know, we've used this term before, but it's that, I think because he was so successful, I think I think there's a lot of people who are quite probably anti-Seb almost, and I think he, he, he kind of yeah. got a bit of a buy when he was at M Sport because of what M Sport represents and you know, the family environment and everything else, but now he's back in, I suppose, corporate world. I, you know, and that happened last year. I think, I think an element of goodwill towards him, wrongly, by the way, I'm going to qualify that wrongly, it, it has been lost, and kind of people want to see him get beat. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's always a way with you know modern motorsport. You know, if someone wins nine championships or, or six championships, then they, you know, they're pretty much going to be universally hated by at least half of the fan base. So we saw it with Sebastian Loeb, and the minute he retired, he became you know a bit of a a bit of a hero, and the minute he you know, the minute he wheeled out the, the the maxi, you know, everyone loved him. And, you know, him coming and doing one-offs, you know, there's been the odd few, few people have said that he's held a seat and, you know, he's taken a seat away from other people. But I think the, the most people love to see Sebastian Loeb back in the WRC and, and, and fighting with with the, the front runners now, even at his age. So, yeah, I think it's the same for Sebastian OJ. As soon as he retires, I think people will be a bit easier on him. But, yeah, at the minute, you know, no one wants to see the same thing happening over and over again but yeah I think the I think the worrying thing is that there's, there's still a lot more to come from, from OJ and that Toyo you know it seems like um, Elvin and Cali have kind of you know hit the ground running straight away and seem to be you know really comfortable where we're at and Sebastian seems to be the only one who's kind of not really happy with where he's at so uh, I think that's a bit of a worrying time moving forward as well Trev, we haven't spoke about the man who we, we spoke about quite a lot last week first time on the you know first time as a road sweeper uh, Elvin Evans we, I think he did a, you know, again, an, an equally solid job, uh, as what we've just been talking about with Cali, really, because, you know, he's in a very strong position. He's, whether there is team orders or not, we, we, we don't really know. But we also know that probably Toyota are very, very big on obviously securing the manufacturers as well. And, and, you know, you would like to think he did everything. It was a tick box exercise. Uh, and I think it would have been a big ask for him to win from there, but it has been done, as we know, by the aforementioned Seb Ogier. But, uh, very good re- performance, I felt, from, from, from Elvin as well. Yeah, we, we probably think it is a solid performance to finish fourth, but if you asked him, I bet he's disappointed with the way he went. Certainly second passes on the stages on, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, I read somewhere that he'd some niggles. I'm not exactly sh- what those were on Saturday afternoon that potentially slowed him down. It'd be interesting to see if Jack knows that. Jack, have you got anything on any niggles that, that Elvin was- suffered with? I think there was um, some electrical fault, wasn't there, at some point? And uh, yeah, he, he kept reporting uh, niggles is the right word, Trevor. I think that I think that's what Elvin actually referred to them as, or, or a similar word. But yeah, I think at that point, to be honest, I think the, the podium was out of out of reach at that point anyway. So I, I don't yeah. think it made a huge difference. But it was, you know, it would have been nice to see him kind of see how how far back he could sort of claw the time at that point. Yeah. 
I think it goes back to what Jack was talking about last week, as, as you know, a few of us have referred to. There's a lot of people putting them up there on that pedestal of the top three, and I mean, we still need to see a little bit more uh, to make sure he's consistently fast. And uh, on the back of that performance, to be first on the road, uh, as I said to you last week, he would have got his head around it, but the actual reality of going there and doing it and uh, and then doing the repeat stages, you know, that's, that's really where... Sebastian Ogier over the years has really come on strong and that's how he's won that rally so many times so that's a bit of learning that he'll want to take away from it Okay, so we always we always say that obviously if you listen to the podcast you, you, you kind of know results and stuff like that so we don't we, we do not do results uh, as such but I just want to and I know I said we weren't really going to talk about it but I guess we, we, we have to as well um, in that um, Sebastian Ogier won the rally Jack um, and obviously they called time on the rally early they finished on the Saturday rather than running the three stages on the Sunday his you know he was he, he, he was not entirely comfortable with perhaps celebrating the win it was very much a, a low key celebration and obviously he's expressed concerns about whether the rally should have actually run um, what's your take on that? Well there's two very simple ways to look at it isn't it uh, you know, it's convenient that the man who's won the event is the one who's saying, you know, it shouldn't have run and, you know, all this kind of stuff that, you know, I've won the rally, but I'm really sad because, you know, this, this virus is very serious and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the, the, there's, there's two ways to look at it, isn't it? In that sense, it's, you know, it's convenient that the man who's won it is saying that, but, but also, um, I, th- I think you've got to, uh, look at it from a humanitarian point of view as well and, and just think, you know, th- there's no way, um, you know, I, th- I think kind of what I mean by it is, um, that he's, you know, Sebastian Ogier isn't going to pull out of the rally on the Friday. Um, if all the other drivers aren't going to pull out, you know, if everybody's competing, he's not going to be the one who's going to pull out, I guess, and, and be that one person who who doesn't do it on a on a kind of moral ground. But that's kind of that's kind of what you don't want to see people get to the end of an event of an event and then say it shouldn't have happened because you know they should have got together really and and not done the event really. Well, that'd be my opinion anyway. If you if you feel that strongly that the event shouldn't go ahead, then you shouldn't have started the event in the first place. But obviously, we're talking about a world championship that means millions of pounds to manufacturers, so you can't be that one person who pulls out and says, I'm not doing the event. So it's a bit of a shame the rally started when it did, because I think if you look at the... That was kind of like Black Friday, wasn't it? The You know, as, as the rally was going on, that was when all the other motorsport events started to kind of fall over. And obviously, uh, it, I don't think it really matters how much people who listen to this podcast follow Roundy Roundy, but the Australian Grand Prix was a bit of a mess and it took till two hours before the first Friday practice session happened for them to cancel that event on the Friday morning, Australian time. And then not long after the, the IndyCar race that was due to choose to start their season uh, failed also on the same weekend so um, I think it was just the, the WRC race was just a little bit behind and I think there was still a bit of uncertainty about how much to panic at that point whereas you know Friday we, we were getting a, you know a lot of countries around the world shutting down travel and starting to make big big decisions that hadn't been made when the WRC event started so it's a very difficult one it's difficult to criticise the organisers because they're, they're reacting to a live situation and you know if, if they went back now and, and did it again I'm not sure if they'd do it differently, but at least they'd have the all all the information in place and they'd know, um, you know, how life was going to plan out. You can never predict hindsight. It's uh, it's something that comes afterwards. Um, and and yeah, you know, the event had already pretty much started as soon as this, you know, the crisis, you know, it took a little bit of time to to kind of kick off in terms of sport and events. So it's a difficult one, but I, I do think the the teams and manufacturers should have got together and, and not ran the event. But at the same time. Um, you know, that's me speaking from hindsight uh, and 
it's uh, you know that's a lovely thing to be able to to speak with, and it's uh, it's a very difficult situation. And I, I don't really think you know obviously as a journalist you want to always kind of get to the bottom of something and find out why something happened and um, you know if there's blame there's blame if there's no blame then there's not. But you know usually a set of circumstances is brought about by a set of decisions that have been made by a group or or a person. But in this sense, I think it's difficult to, to really apportion any blame or, or really, you know, start pointing fingers at the Mexico organisers because they were wrapped into a live situation that was very difficult to, to kind of, you know, adapt to. I think that, you know, I, th- I think you've nailed it. I, I was working with some people who, who over in Mexico on another event uh, that we've been, that we were discussing. And I was told pretty much, um, about 24 hours before, 36 hours before it broke as a news story that Argentina was cancelled because, of course, from a long-haul point of view, Mexico, all this stuff gets moved from Mexico onto Argentina and then either returns to Europe or was going to go on to Kenya. So we were told that Argentina had been cancelled and uh, that, was, that news was going to break in, in a day or so's time. Now, uh, it's, it's quite a good term to use, Jack Black Friday. Uh, Right. What was what was your take on it? Um, obviously, we, you know, we're, we're still trying to figure stuff out here um, with events and various things being cancelled uh, around the world. What was your take on 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 the rally actually running? Uh, I think the situation has just evolved so quickly, hasn't it? And and every country's in a in a different situation. And I think that the problem is, uh, as you know, Tony, from a uh, shipping and transport point of view these these things are planned so far ahead that you know the the rally wouldn't have even been in doubt when all the cars and, and everything left and, and once everything there is there then um then it's a more difficult decision to make and i guess if something like formula one can get it so drastically wrong then uh you know with all the, the money involved in that and maybe that's why they had to go no matter what but yeah uh, it's a hey it's a difficult decision um the rally ran we we had a rally but we were lucky to have a rally i guess that's the the top and bottom of it um whether ethically it should have run or not i'm not sure but it did um and 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 you know seemingly there's been no no issues because of it so uh, i think it's very difficult to uh to say right or wrongly um whether it should or shouldn't have run without all the information at hand and, and as i said i think the situation's just evolved that quickly since uh since everything was planned um that they decided to go with it and like i said we, we've had a rally um and and we'll just have to see what happens over the next few months Trev, last but not least, um, is it something that you felt comfortable, the fact that, that it was running? Uh, I prefer it didn't run. You know, I'm quite happy to stick my neck out here. Many other businesses actually going to talk about OJ and what he was talking about. Uh, and it was very similar to what Lewis Hamilton was talking about in Australia. His comments were at the press conference prior to uh, the Grand Prix weekend. Um, if anybody in rally could have decided to pull out and they weren't going to compete on the rally, it would have been Sebastian Ogier. And clearly he had thought about it. He was persuaded not to do that and convinced that he should do the rally. Um, had he ignored that and pulled out, that would have been a huge statement and it would have been interesting to see what would have happened in the back of that. Um, but, you know, if, if you've got those beliefs, if you've got that thought, then 
if anybody's going to act on it, it's going to be Sebastian Ogier because I don't imagine anybody's going to reprimand him or sue him or whatever it may be in the back of that decision. And that would have been a really powerful thing. Um, again, like Jack says, it's difficult to criticise uh, organisers, FIA, uh, everybody else involved in it. But the one thing that I know about, and it's becoming more apparent, is in a crisis situation like this, you have to make a decision fairly quick. And for me, the decisions are being delayed too long. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, right, boys. Um, a couple of other little bits and pieces before we get to any other business. Um, I want this, this one especially for you, Ryan Champion. Um, the first homologated rally four car has been, uh, released by M Sport. Now, do you understand what rally four car is? Uh, are we, are we talking, uh, rally four as a new rally four? As a new rally four. So old R2. It is an old money, yeah. If you got your translator there, have you? <laughs> I'll be honest, right? And um, I, I think we've, to some degree, between all, all four of us, we've got our finger on the pulse to some degree. When I seen that announcement, the Rally Four car, I genuinely thought it was the four-wheel drive cheaper option one. You mean the Rally Three car? Yeah, I know exactly. That's exactly what I thought. You see, and I had to kind of well, stop and, and read the article as well. Which is not going to be cheap, but it's obviously going to be substantially more expensive than a Rally 4 car, isn't it? And probably no faster, but anyway, we'll see. Tony, yeah. are you telling me that you have been misled by a simplified rally and pyramid structure? That's the, been the pyramid is a perfect uh, metaphor for it, isn't it? Right down the bottom is the, the biggest volume of cars, and then you work your way up from there. Yes. Simple. So Rally 5 is a detuned Rally 4 R2 car. Sequential box and pure suspension, but standard engine and brakes. So that's what R1 was. And Rally 4 is junior WRC cars uh, in non-table form, can be 1,600 or, or a blown at one litre. Rally 3, yet to arrive, but this will be uh, sub €100,000 for a four-wheel drive car. Sub €100,000, but you have no seats. Probably you have no, no seats. <laughs> no, 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 but no. Probably, yeah. probably lucky if you've got a roll cage, really. But anyway, there we are. Do you think we should qualify that statement, Ryan Champion? Because we've got a bit of time here, right? Because we're flippant about that because we remember quite clearly, or you remember, and I remember through my friends as well who had Super 1600 cars, of course, that was the big thing about Super 1600. They were all meant to be sub 100,000 100, euros. At yeah, the time. I think 100,000 euro price cap at the time, which. And, uh, go and on. in fairness. I believe, and you'd know this much, much better than me because you have X-Works cars. I don't know if you know that or not, um, that the Puma was the only one that kept to that, whereas all the other manufacturers kind of went, yeah, but we, you don't get your seats and you don't get this and you don't get that. It was only the Borum car that actually was built to that figure as a, as a actually road, as a, as a rally ready car. Yeah, it was definitely developed to that figure. Um, yeah. It was one of the first cars, and and it was developed with with a hundred thousand euros in mind. But obviously, that pretty much went out of the window. And as you said, you you could buy a kit of parts in the end for a hundred thousand euros. I think from uh, some of the uh, the French manufacturers that that had the the rockets in Super sixteen hundred at the time. But obviously, the build cost was quite high, and 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 it's not so different nowadays with. Uh, R2 cars and R5 cars. I, I believe if you want an R5 car painted, you have to pay extra. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 there's no need to go prehistoric on us, Tony, back to uh, whatever it is whatever <laughs> it is you're harking back to there. It's happening with the R5 right now. Yeah. Unless, but, but, unless, it's, but, but, unless, it's, unless it's changed with the pyramid that's just come out. 
that uh, one. The R5 is £180,000, but, no, but you also, can't get one on your drive until you've paid 230 because it's got to come with a gravel kit, a tarmac kit. It's got and to seats. Kit, like Ryan said, it's got to have seats. Well, Jack, all I was doing is that, because both, <laughs> both Trevor, uh, bro, sorry, both Ryan and I have made some flipping comments about not the, getting a complete car, and what I was doing was qualifying that statement. That's all I was doing. Yeah, not yeah, necessarily know, going prehistoric. You, you could have qualified it with something current, not something in, that happened in the past. That's all I was saying. Well, maybe I like maybe I like looking back through rosy coloured spectacles. Give me a break. Hey, no, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. If you want to do that, you can do that. I know I can. It's my train set. I knew you were going to say that. Thanks. <laughs> there you go. Absolute rally bingo. It's Tony's train set. We there did logistics go. as well. We had logistics earlier. We did have logistics. It's not very often I mention that. To be fair. No, me Ryan mentioned it. To be fair, Ryan did it for you. I know. I try to stay away from all that. Isn't to be fair one of them as well? Yes, it is. It is. I think that's another word as well. On the alluded to. I was quite nice to Sebastian Ojo as well. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad we, I'm glad we covered M Sports and new car so well. <laughs> I feel bad for M Sport now. <laughs> uh, I know we haven't done it justice. Sh- sh- do you want me to summarise it quickly? Yes, please. All right. M Sport has brought out a new Ford Fiesta R2, which is now the Ford Fiesta Rally 4, and it's got some suspension upgrades and a little bit more power than the old R2 car had, but now it's called a Rally 4 car. Thank you. And and the prices? <laughs> Not getting into that one. Yeah, let's stay away from that. Do you, want, do, you want, do you want the price to buy or the price on the road, champion? Uh, well, let's competitively let's, priced. <laughs> let's have both. <laughs> competitively priced. There you go, Trevor. Yeah. And on that note, we will move away from that, and we will get to any other business. Um, as Jack Benyon suddenly got very aggressively verbal towards me. Yours first, please, young man. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't aggressively verbal towards you, Tony. I'd never yes, you breathing a sigh of relief that you didn't pick on him. Was I, was take, I was taking the mick that you didn't need to go back to the olden days. It was just I something know, that was happening. I know. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just feeling a bit, a bit, a bit vulnerable at the moment, Jack. I, I, I felt a bit insecure that, you know, you said uh, before the podcast started that you'd have to change my nappy if we were talking about 1995. Well, that's true. But you, you were three years old in 1995, so... <laughs> it's true. It's factual piece of information. But, were yeah. you actually potty trained then? I don't think I was, you know. Oh, we're on potty training at the moment. Oh, oh. It's, a mess- it's a messy business. Me and Ryan will t- tell you about that off there. <laughs> before that happens. Before uh, you'd, that think, happens. you'd think we should be able to do it by now, Tony, wouldn't you? I know, you do. Really, to 40 odd years in. It's the lack of toilet paper that I'm troubled by now. Uh, <laughs> right, Jack Benning, you're any other business, young man? Uh, I wanted to congratulate Neil Parry on dethroning Gary Boyd at the top of the Absolute Rally podcast, fantasywrc.com league table, which you, Tony, flippantly always say that no one can join up to. But there is now over 100 members of the Absolute Rally podcast league. What do you think right. about that? Who's, who, who's, the, who's, who's the biggest member? Uh, that's probably me, isn't it? Uh, and there's, <laughs> there's actually 105, and I'm surprised at the man who's 105th. Do, who, do we know who's 105th? Yeah, we do. It's, it's Dave Welford, who's all over social media with his great rallying stories and pictures and everything else, and he's down in 105th. What's going there's, on there? There's a bit of a problem there. He's not scored any points, which means he's not put any drivers in his team. That's probably why, then. Unfortunately. Yeah. That'll do it every yeah, time. Yeah, that, that'll do it. There, that, there, there, therein lies the problem of fantasy rallies. Even, <laughs> even absolute rally predictions are better than Dave Wolford at the minute. But yeah. in fairness, we do usually pick a driver. So there you go. But anyway, as, the top five. As, 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 brought it up, as you brought it up, JB, how, how are we getting on? Um, well, that was the second part of the end of the business. And I thought you might mention this, champion, yeah. funnily enough. Because, funnily enough, you're the uh, highest scoring absolute rally member at the minute. 
you're 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 the biggest member with you know, you scored 1906 points in Mexico and you're up to 5643 so congratulations to you Tony you're not far behind in 18th and you have 5562 points and mm. Trev I'm afraid to say um, we are a bit further behind but you are ahead of me so it is me who is doing the manual labour at Kielder at this rate if things carry on so I need to pull my finger out it's a tight race as well isn't it we're, we're one place apart yeah we're quite far behind <laughs> not that we look at this at all 64th <laughs> and 65th compared to uh, 18th and 14th <laughs> I think I, you know what I think Shrev and Jack have been pressing refresh all over the weekend on their computers to see how the no, points are going to go no matter how many times you press refresh it doesn't change the drivers into ones that win unfortunately <laughs> I've tried yeah I've, I seem to remember there's some team bosses that have tried that as well but anyway <laughs> there you go uh, Trevor Aggie you're any other business for this week well, I've done mine. Uh, we spoke about Ozzy earlier, so uh, but I have a second one, clearly. And just to reference a member of the team who was very competitive the weekend, the Malcolm Wilson rally, and putting it up to Adrian Formal, very close to finishing second, I heard. Is that right? Uh, yeah, he was worried. He was worried. I did. We did have a chat before, and I did say one flash. And uh, he said, huh? And that was it. That was the end of the conversation. He said, huh? Huh? <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Did he say anything else? Uh, au-, au revoir. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That tickled me. Yeah. Right. Over to you then with your any other business, which is going to blow no, us away. I'm going to go to Ryan Champion now. It's my, my train set, as Jack always says. <laughs> well, I was uh, I was going to actually mention uh, Adrian Formos' performance because I thought it was pretty impressive to uh, you know to come to a uh, a BTRD event, obviously with no recce. He's used to making his own pace notes, and and to be honest, he, he blitzed everybody. So it, it was quite impressive. So it'll be interesting to watch. He's he's already showed a lot of speed in in his R5 outings. I mean, last year was his first time in an R5 car. He's shown a lot of speed this year, so I think he could be one to watch. So that'll be quite interesting. Um, my uh, other point of any other business today, as we're recording this on, on St. Patrick's Day, happy St. Patrick's Day, Trevor, um, was just a shout out to the uh, the Irish drivers in, in uh, Mexico. Unfortunately, um, uh, Barry McKenna retired, but uh, 1982 Irish tarmac champion John Coyne was 15th overall. And not only that, uh, he beat a chap called Thierry Deville. There you go. Fair play to John, and a big contributor to Irish motorsport. Yeah, helped a lot of young drivers recently. So uh, does a, does a lot for the sport behind the scenes, and uh, and loves competing himself. Still has a lot of fun. There you go. There you go. Uh, briefly, my any other business was uh, the the aforementioned uh, Malcolm Wilson rally. Fantastic event pressure of, of of obviously events being cancelled obviously even at uh, national level here in the uk and they 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 kept the event on it was they took every you know precaution they had to do the stages were in far better condition we, which we thought they were going to be um and it was a credit to them it was a fantastic little battle that we had um there's some very very quick boys in those r2s and i think Without sounding being biased, I think the R2 class in BTRDA this year is without doubt possibly going to be one of the best ones to watch. Not because we're in it, but because of some of the young drivers that we'll see, I'm sure, go on to bigger and better things. So there you go. There you go. Well done to all on the rally that managed to finish because there was uh, there was quite a few that didn't manage to. And 
I hope I hope you've got a bit of time to get things prepared and you know like we were saying at the top of the podcast we really don't know when the next event's going to be so fingers crossed um, we'll know some some answers on that and they're not too distant future um, right boys um, you can clock off now for for, for, for one more week thanks so much. Your, your work's done for this week uh, Jack Bengy thank you uh, my work's not done, but my work on Absolute Rally's done. Your work on Absolute Rally is done. Um, uh, Brian Champion, your work is done. Uh, well, again, it's not, but thank you. It, well, it is, let's be honest. Um, well, to be honest, like Trevor, we haven't got much work at the minute, well, so we're scratching around I, trying to I, find I, stuff. Well, that's what I was saying. Uh, to be fair, that's what I was going to say, but I wasn't going to be that cruel. And, and Trev, thank you. Your work is, is, is clearly also not done. Yeah, I've retired now. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, boys, thank you for that. Uh, folks, we will be back with all the boys next week. Um, we're going to put something out. Well, by now, you'll be, uh, you'll have answered what we're going to probably be involved and what we're going to do with next week's podcast anyway. But anyway, um, we're going to go to a break and then we're going to come back with a JWRC star, Katie Munnings. This is Absolute Rally. Absolute Rally continues to be partnered by the Kielder Works team, who remain fully committed to the sport and are pioneers of the latest technology. Kielder cordless tools are tailored for all forms of competitive action. Go back to the future with the Kielder Works team. And welcome back to the final section of Absolute Rally. And as I've just mentioned, um, First time, we, 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 I can't believe we've not had Katie on before, but Katie Munnings, welcome to Absolute Rally for the first time. Oh, thank you. It's so exciting to be on. It's um, a podcast that I've loved listening to for many years, so uh, to be a part of that is really awesome. You're a legend for saying that, Katie, and the check is in the post. Um, <laughs> Said that <do> in early. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's a bit I'm going to cut out and just use every now and again. Um, I, do you know what? It's 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 really weird because... We've just been, obviously, we had a quick chat before we started, but I'm really conscious of asking people the same stuff that they've been asking a million times before. And you're one of those rally drivers that has, has, has come up and, and kind of done it in a, in, a, in a kind of quiet way, but at a very, very high level. And I can't imagine that there isn't a question that I can ask you that hasn't been asked to you before. So I'm just going to go in two-footed and go, why did you start on a Peugeot 106? <laughs> um, so I'd grown up around motorsport, um, not really rallying as much, but my dad, when he was young, when he was probably in his 20s, he did some Belgian rally championship stuff. That was the kind of time when the organisers would pay for your um, kind of tunnel over on the Euro Tunnel and your hotels and some dinner vouchers and that kind of thing. They were trying to get um, some Brits over to Belgium for rallying. So he did uh, the Belgian Rally Championship with some friends, but he never really had the budget to do it properly. Uh, but he was quick. Um, and then when he had me and my sister, my sister's 18 months older than me, um, he started working as an instructor at the London Rally School and Brands Hatch Rally Schools. So I think my first memory in a rally car, I was probably about five and I sat in the passenger seat and I couldn't see anything at that time but all I remember is just going so quickly towards the line of trees and I was absolutely terrified to the point where I thought my dad was literally going to kill me in the car and then obviously he missed the trees um, and I couldn't see much because I was so short I couldn't see much out the window and it was such a thrill to me I just kept saying do it again do it again and I was absolutely amazed by the way that he drove 
Um, so that's probably when I caught the bug. But then since then, he's had he started um, a motorsport entertainment company, which was like quad bikes and Honda Pilots and clay pigeon shooting and that kind of thing. So I grew up as an instructor. I probably started working for him when I was 10, moving quads around the farm and that kind of stuff. It would be straight home from school and out onto the quad bikes. Um, so I grew up, it was kind of my hobby. And then I started grass auto testing when I was 14 um, at my local motor club. And my dad actually sent me and my sister. We had a little Peugeot 206 road car at the time that we'd do the school running. Um, and he, he put both of us, I was 14, I think must, must have been, well, she's 18 months older than me. So we were on this grass track and we, we, he basically said we were doing it because he wanted us to have some car control when we started to drive uh, on the roads when we were 17 because where we live in the winter, it's very icy, it doesn't get gritted, it's kind of um, quiet country lanes. And he said, I'm not having my daughters kind of <laughs> understeer straight off into the hedge or whatever. So um, we both started with that. Um, and I was really competitive. I was like, I was doing all kinds of athletics and uh, netball at school. I was really sporty and um, competing at high level in lots of different sports. And I just loved the competitive, competitive element of it. Um, and so when I started that, I was, I was always trying to beat my sister and I was trying to beat the boys. And there was a nice junior group that was there. Um, and it's an affordable way of motor, form of motorsport as well. You know, it's road cars. It's the entry was like five every other uh, every other Wednesday um, evening, I think it was. Um, so it was really good fun for the family. Um, and then when I was 17, we were spectating an EPA rally in Belgium and speaking to some of the organizers just by chance. We were in a bar in um as you do in Ypres. A lot, I was just going to say, a lot of stories in Ypres normally end up and finish at a bar. So. Yeah, it's, it, I think it's the best rally for that, really, isn't it? Um, but yeah, we got we got chatting to one of the organisers and they said um, that, you know, there's a shortage of women in the sport. And he said, you know, my dad at the time was just having a chat and we were sort of saying, well, um, I'm, I really love driving, I love motorsports. How would you kind of go about you know, because we didn't have any money really to do it. How would you go about um, getting involved? And he put me in touch with um, Santalot team who were running the official Peugeot team at the time. And with, within a couple of months, they said, oh, yeah, come up for a test. So I'd never, at this point, I'd never, ever driven a rally car before. And they, they said, oh, we're testing um, a Rally Mont Blanc. And so I went out to Rally Mont Blanc rally, spectated on the rally. And I was like, this is, you know, what am I doing here? The next day they were, they were having a kind of, I guess it was a Peugeot Sport, a bare journalist uh, kind of test for the press they had some of the top drivers there I think Craig Breen was there actually um Chris Ingram was there quite you know a few of the top drivers from ERC at the time um and they said right okay you'll go and so I just jumped in this Peugeot um R2 the 208 R2 uh it was left-hand drive sequential gearbox you know the long handbrake everything looked so foreign to me I'd literally I'm barely I'm barely 17 so I'd only just really driven started driving on the road in England and there I was literally on the side of a mountain um and they'd chosen the most ridiculous test road it was sort of a really broken up gravelly kind of half tarmac half gravel track that was uh, literally on the side of the mountain with huge drops and I remember I had um, a French driver that was sat next to me and he kept he didn't speak any English <laughs> he that just helps. tapped my legs that helps when you Driver like that. I told you, yeah, it was absolutely, I was completely overwhelmed by the experience. And I thought, oh God, and dad said, well, if nothing else, what an experience. What, you know, it's amazing to be here. Um, and so I, I kind of just lapped it up and I, I just kept doing run after run after run. And we progressed quite a lot during that day. And I remember actually after my first two runs, I came back and I was like, oh my God, that's insane. And they said, um, you've been running in uh, road mode, so we'll try stage mode now, shall we? <laughs> that's one um, way to damage but, your ego, isn't it? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that was baptism of fire, yeah. really. But I was, I was then obsessed with the way that the guys could drive. I, you know, I sat in the passenger side, and I was, I was like, I've always been one of those people. If I can see someone doing something, I want to know what it takes to do it myself. And so I think that was the challenge I sort of set myself from then. So then going back to where we started in the Peugeot 106 is I um, managed to actually my dad worked in the city with some with some um, different kind of companies that were um, like kind of I guess they're um, hedge fund kind of companies and they they said oh yeah we'll put we'll put some money in for Katie to do that so I like the story of me being a girl as well so I managed to get some budget to do Epa Rally the next year um, but to do that I had to have obviously an international license so then it was the mad rush through the winter to try and get my license like five rallies in five weekends all over the country so that's where 106 came in unfortunately with my dad as a co-driver and I don't think he rode, uh, read one pace note <laughs> he was sat in the car with me he was just shouting at me brilliant brilliant I, I, do you know what I was just about, I, I also worked at London Rally School there you go there's a, there's a blast from the past not, oh not, no way yeah 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 yeah. I worked for Johnny Wigmore god yeah. 10 years yeah 10 years ago or more must be yeah. oh, wow do you know yeah. what funny story I saw um, so Johnny because it used to be Chris Wigmore his dad yeah it's his dad yeah 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 it's Chris and yeah. Johnny yeah I was working at um, Red Bull Company Conference we're doing kind of a Honda Pilot with Beat Katie Challenge the other uh, at the end of last year and uh, guess who was running it it was Johnny Wigmore running the pilot that he bought <laughs> for my dad when we sold this company so it's such a full <laughs> world isn't it it is it's incredible well listen the, the rally one is, is incredible do you know what I find really interesting is that Obviously, th- throughout that, you, one, you didn't take a breath. You can take a breath now, Katie. It's okay. So I was, I was a bit worried for you. <laughs> but what I, was, what I do find interesting is that you know, the big thing is, obviously, in rallying, we're always talking about you know, budget and how do we find budget and stuff like that. And obviously, yeah. you found a way in. And that's what everybody yeah. has to do. You have to find your own way in. There's a very obvious way of doing it, and you just get a shed load of money, and that's your way in. But obviously, yeah. as you just said, you, you, you didn't have that. What you had is an introduction, and that introduction put you into a place of um, Santa Lock. And Santa Lock, again, I think, you know, they've looked after so many drivers, and they still are today. You know, they're a big part of ERC. Um, and it was probably Santalock was probably I, I was amazed. I didn't realise how long you've been with them for. You were with Santalock for probably three or four years. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's you know, I think that's probably the worst thing about rally is you know the price tag that comes with it when you compare it to other sports. Um, it's not just something where you, where you can practice any time. And I think if it, if I was in a situation where I was staring down, you know somebody gave me a piece of paper and said right this is what it costs for the season I would never have been able to do it it's never even now I've never done a season where we're kind of you know at the start of the year right we've got enough budget for the season this is what we'll do this is the testing we'll do it's always rally by rally what, what you know what can we move to get us to there what opportunities can we use to make a bit of cash and it's always been like that to be honest with you and um, yeah I was you know it was really fortunate they have that such um, a strong relationship with Peugeot as well and Peugeot Sport that they were able to then help me to put me in touch with um, people in the UK and so I was then an ambassador with Sergio for about uh, three or four years it was a really long time but it was nice to work with a team for that long because it was it meant the engineers that I was kind of with on my first day at school as it were were then the guys that were taking me through the European Championship a couple of years later and they knew how I worked and I knew how they worked um, so it did yeah it, 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 it became a bit of a family um, and yeah it's, I've got really happy memories of that. Uh, it, it was, uh, you know, if you can use that term in rallying, a happy accident because, you know, obviously you, 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 uh, I suppose by, by, by the fact that you found the way in, but your way in was via the European Rally Championship as opposed to rallying in the UK. You know, you did 
a handful of rallies to get your license upgrade. But, you know, you're one of the few people that really hasn't done any rallying in the UK. All your rallying yeah. has been the, the, the ERC, which is which is weird when you think about obviously your heritage and where you're from and everything else but it kind of self-explanatory when you kind of say well your dad used to go rallying over in belgium and all those deals which i remember as well by the way were to entice people and obviously there's no deals anymore to entice people to rally in the uk and that's one of the big kind of bugbears that we all have with it um but you found that way to do it and you found the way to get longevity as well you know it wasn't a one-hit wonder either because that can happen quite a lot you see that happening quite a lot where it's one season all or nothing and then people disappear what you've done is give a career if you want to call it that i'm sure you do longevity and time and, and you know seat time as well because of course those rallies are proper rallies the three four day rallies you're making notes and things like that and we don't have those anymore in the uk unfortunately yeah, I mean, looking back, <laughs> I always have this conversation with my dad, actually. I always say, you know, what were we thinking? At least he knew what to expect. You know, he'd done Eva Rally, he'd done Conjures, he'd done quite, quite big events in Europe. And um, so he knew what it was like, and especially back in that, those days, it was sort of, you know, way longer. You could recce for two weeks in advance and all that kind of thing. And when I went out there, I remember thinking, oh, my God, this is absolutely crazy. Um, but I think because he'd seen the attraction of it, he'd seen the crowds that Eva brings, he'd seen the magic, he'd seen the exposure from the European Championship and when we looked at it with you know the opportunity that we had for us to try and replicate that in England it kind of wouldn't you know it wouldn't really be that much cheaper because the European Championship were helping with flights and shipping and hotels and you know they try and make it as affordable as possible for the junior drivers especially um, so it made sense to us with the return on what you get in terms of exposure to just go big or go home but at the same time that was sort of negative in some ways because it meant that you know where most people can quietly get some seat time in like club rallies and then move up to kind of national championship and go that classic kind of grassroots way my first rally kilometers were really straight in on european rally championship you know stage kilometers and you know time you know against the top drivers in europe the guys that are trying to win it um so it was it was quite a lot of pressure and quite um i felt it you know the kind of the the eyes on you as it were and it it wasn't you know an easy challenge at all and it's one of those things you kind of have to keep your head down and i well you know i was working with a co-driver at the time and she was saying don't look at the time just focus on your feeling focus on progression and we always said if we're going to put ourselves into this championship it's probably the best chance that we've got of progressing because you're pitching yourself against the top drivers at this level so therefore you're going to know what the benchmark is and you're not going to be like um you know the top of a class but actually you know there's a load of quick kids that aren't in that competition you know all the fast guys were there so it was a really nice opportunity for me to learn from them watch their onboards try and get as much information from them um, in media zones all that kind of stuff um so yeah looking back i always say to my dad god i wish we'd done that differently because i remember you know Ypres rally i was standing on the start line thinking what am i doing <laughs> well do, do you know i i i, I, I think you, you kind of nailed it i'm not genuinely blowing smoke up your backside here but to go into those rallies and i can say that because it's my podcast so um <laughs> to go to rallies and, and you know people who go rallying will appreciate this and, and you know certain rally fans will get it as well but you're writing notes from scratch that's a very yeah. very daunting thing and it's all very well and good. You know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, as I always say. You go out with your friends and write a set of pace notes down your local country lane and, and see how difficult it is. And then imagine doing that over a 120 mile rally. 
Yeah, it was a completely new experience for me. I remember being absolutely shattered at the end of it. Um, I was completely exhausted because it, it really takes it out of you emotionally. And especially that first rally, um, it was kind of an absolutely crazy week because I was doing my A-levels at school at the same time. Um, and luckily, Thanks for making we me feel in- old, Katie. Thanks for that. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> we were we, we were kind of living well we we still live there in the southeast of England, and um, so it's only sort of half an hour for me to the Eurotunnel, and then Belgium and Ypres was only about forty five minutes the other side. So we actually I was testing I think I was testing on the Tuesday in Ypres, and I completely totaled the car, literally on the warm up runs. Um, bearing in mind this these are probably my you know I was on my tenth kilometer in a rally car in this in this two hundred eight R two at the time. I had no experience at all. Um, but it was, a, it was a benchmark that we set. Obviously, we wanted to do loads of tests in advance, but we, I was doing my levels at school at the time. We couldn't get the budget for it. So it was kind of just like, right, well, we said we'd do EPA. Let's just do EPA. Um, That's the attitude that we went with. And we had a pre-event test. Um, and I was obviously adjusting to left-hand drive, which is really difficult. If you ever hire a car in Europe, you always think, oh, it's not that different to right-hand drive. But actually, when you sit in it for the first time, um, it is really daunting. And you don't exactly know where your wheels are. You always feel like you're going to hit cars coming the other way. Um, and that's what I was kind of feeling in terms of being on the racing line. And it was really treacherous conditions. It was really rainy and muddy. And I was just probably, I don't know, five centimeters too far over um, on the right. And I ended up getting my wheels on the muddy kind of verge at the side of the road. And it completely spun us around. And unfortunately, we hit um, an electricity pylon and um, the ditch had kind of a bridge parapet in it. So we, we completely um, rolled the car and took out um, this electricity pylon. It was, a, it was, you know, the car was really badly damaged. Um, and the next day I had my biology A-level a back in England. So I had to leave the car there. The team hired a workshop to be working on it. Um, and I came back over on the Eurotunnel. I sat my biology A-level the next um, morning. And then I think that afternoon I had to get back on the Eurotunnel. And qualifying was something like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So <laughs> I was doing that at the same time. And then I had like Southeast News following me. They thought it was a cool story. So they came over and they were filming it all. And I was starting my first rally. I hadn't really had a test because I'd, I'd totaled the car trying to warm the tires up at the start of the test and there I was starting my first international rally with all the cameras on me saying oh she's just crashed this car in testing she's done her A level and now she's here and it was absolutely surreal we, we, we all want to know what grade you got uh, do you know what then that was the thing well, I, when we, when it came to results day because they wanted to follow the story they got me videoing um, and, and on the radio opening my results live and I was I think I was more terrified for that than I was the rally I did drop a grade though I was predicted an A and I ended up getting a B but I thought oh, oh well Katie. you're willing to make isn't it <laughs> Katie um Listen, I'm really conscious of not keeping you forever. So we're kind of going to fast forward on a little bit because you've obviously you've gone through ERC. You've done those rallies. You've had an amazing time, obviously, with 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 Santa. I want to ask about you. You've had um, was it a conscious decision with regards to co-drivers? Because you've always had an overseas co-driver. And that's not. You know, that's not really the norm. You normally have a crew going there together to kind of learn together and work together, whatever it may be. Was that something conscious either by the team or, or, or your family or, or even by obviously yourself to, to have uh, an overseas co-driver, you know, more experienced or whatever? Was that something to, 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 to alleviate the, the stress on you or, or what? What was the, what was the psyche behind that? Um, so it, I never really thought about that, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> I've always been overseas. 
Um, I think the thing, the conscious part of our did decision was... Did your dad that, damage you on those five rallies that you thought, I'm never yeah, having... <laughs> that was it. I thought, I can't deal with the British accent in the car. just shouting at me, no. I kind of didn't want to understand what they were saying so I could do my own thing. <laughs> and no, it was the conscious part of that decision was always to have a female in the car. Um, we've, um, you know, I think for the whole, you know, there's not enough women in motorsport. I think it's a really powerful image. Um, and my dad had a female co-driver. Maybe that's where that came from as well. He always thought that the voice and the, you know, the calmness of it. And then uh, also the organizational skills. And we get into a long debate about whether females are more organized than males <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, no, I... I was at a rally school, Vittorio Caneva Rally School in Italy, um, and we, we said, can you recommend, recommend some female co-drivers? And because I was going in with literally no experience, it was important for me to have somebody that did have experience that I could lean on a bit, um, especially for things like setting up the car or knowing um, where I'm losing time on stages compared to the others. Because when you're starting out, there's so many different things, you know, so many different parts to it which you can improve, and it's really useful to have somebody that knows what they're talking about, really. Um, so we, we made that decision to have a female, and then I, I worked with... Um, Anna Stein from Germany who's had WRC experience she'd been co-driving for years she was also a lawyer so everything in terms of regulations and things like that was kind of straight from the start and um, yeah it was a really cool team um, I would you know it's, I've, I've never I've never kind of thought about the fact that I haven't worked with somebody from Britain it does make sense when you say it like that um, but I think for me it was more important to um, from kind of our image side um, I really wanted to make sure it looked like a kind of powerful thing of having two girls in the car and when I was looking at the experience level I was more looking at girls that had got experience that I could lean on and I'm not sure I mean I'm sure there's plenty in the UK but I kind of didn't cross paths with them at the time so that's kind of where I came from from that side um, yeah I mean I think I would always uh, we actually had this conversation at the start of the year I wouldn't say that I would not have a male co-driver but I think if the pref- it, you know my preference if, it, if I was able to I'd love to kind of put that image out there because I think even when we're at the side of the road um you know, changing tyres and there's little girls looking out the window of their house and they're like, oh, there's two girls there. <laughs> you know, they don't get that subconscious. I, I, I'm sure it's kind of ingrained in us. It's not something we do consciously. But I think when you see a female driver with a male co-driver, it can almost look like the male is kind of, you know, telling the female what to do and getting them through it and, you know, almost coaching. Um, so from our side, we thought, oh, we'll have two young girls in the car. And then it's like, yeah, <laughs> girl yeah. power. We got all the credit for it. It's not like, you know, we're at, we're at a rally school and we're being, we were being dragged around the rally. Um, so I think that's just a psychological way that we look at stuff. Or maybe it's just me being paranoid. But yeah, I think <laughs> any way that I can support women in motorsport, I try to. No, absolutely. The one thing I will say, just, 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 just to go the polar opposite of that, we have Molly Taylor. Uh, come on this podcast from time to time and I've known Molly for a long time as well and she's had both male and female co-drivers and tr- trust me there is no male going to tell her how to drive having known yeah. Molly for quite some time <laughs> if ever you meet Molly I don't know whether you know Molly at all but uh, yeah nobody tells Molly how to drive Jesus no that, that's never going to happen but still there you go there you go um, I wanted to bring you up to up to date and it's almost like I, I feel like I am kind of skirting over stuff but I, I'm just, as I say, I keep saying this, I'm, I'm really aware of, of time and stuff like that. But to leave the ERC the way, obviously, you left it, you've been there, you, it was it was comfortable, you were comfortable with the team and everything else. What was your rationale to, to, to go JWRC this year? No, it's not something that I kind of, it's not something that I planned. Um, we'd never really, you know, I, I spoke a little bit about budget earlier, but 
for us, it was always rally by rally basis. So, for example, we, I think I drove in total 300 kilometers in a rally car last year, which is when you look at a WRC event, that's pretty much one rally. <laughs> Um, so it wasn't, I hadn't, you know, I didn't get a great lot of, great deal of experience. It was one of those years in rally where sort of everything just kind of goes wrong. And I think, you know, it's the same in motorsport. It happens for people. Um, and, you know, a few for the, for the last couple of years when budget had run out towards the end of the season, we'd only, you know, sort of done four rallies a year. And it's not like we've ever had a full season of kind of testing and then ERC and, you know, um, it was it was strange to leave the championship because obviously it's all I'd ever known. It was the you know pretty much the similar rallies every single year. Um, so you've got like experience of it and you know the little things you know which hotels stay and it gets quite comfortable, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but I think I I kind of reached the point. It wasn't so much my decision. Um, it was it, I was kind of at the stage where with some of my sponsors, especially Red Bull, they were kind of saying that they'd love to get a female you know, to the top in WRC or that that was sort of their, their goal is, you know, everybody's recognising the importance of, you know, getting equality in sports now. And I think motorsport's one of the sports that's kind of a little bit behind with it. Um, and so I think that they wanted to, they wanted to see that happen. And that for me, they kind of sat down and said, right, you know, this is this is a conversation that was probably a couple of years ago, but they they at the time were saying, right, who's who's kind of ticking the boxes of being young and motivated and um, showing some promise, and you know, who wh- where can we go with this? Um, and I I think I was probably right place, right time that I was sort of the one that was kind of pushing for it, and uh, in the ERC, you know, as we said, trying to just keep keep at it and not kind of just do one season and give up. I was really trying to have a go at it, um, and so I think that's probably where it came from. It was a, it was a conversation of a few people, a few different parts. Um, in the championship and um, that that kind of conversation came about that they said okay we still haven't got the budget, full budget for the full year by the way it's not like I've been handed this <laughs> golden opportunity it's still very much rally by rally kind of situation um, but at the same time it was one of those things I couldn't turn down when they said right do you want to go and do rally Sweden I was sort of a bit like uh, yeah definitely <laughs> um, absolutely um, but it was, a, it was a deal that kind of, kind of came together you know right at the last minute um, and at that time as well it was, it was it's been really you know it's probably been the most challenging start to the year I've ever had because while I've had this kind of opportunity and I've been able to make things work and pull in bits of budget from other places um, my co-driver at the start of the year said that she wanted to start working for Toyota uh, she's kind of I guess Mr. Toyota's PA in terms of on events and um, some different racing series as well. So she's kind of got a massive job there. And she said maybe her time as a co-driver will be kind of coming to an end as she starts this new chapter in the hospitality and the kind of client entertainment at Toyota. But that left me like two weeks before Sweden without a co-driver. Wow. Um, so then not only was I going to a new rally with a new team, I also didn't have a co-driver. And, you know, it was kind of quite hectic. Um but, um, Did you choose a yeah. Swedish co-driver specifically because it was Rally Sweden or was that just a happy, yeah. <laughs> happy moment? Do you know what? Because we were kind of, it was such a last minute decision and I really didn't think it would happen for a long time. I thought it's kind of one of those conversations you've had, you, yeah, we know that our goal has always been WRC, but we didn't think it would happen this quickly to be able to, you know, go to these championships. We thought maybe I'd be doing ERC and I'll be doing Meraki for a year, you know, as you do. And then you slowly go into WRC like that. It happened so quickly that I was sort of, oh, yeah, no, I need to find a co-driver. That's right. Um, and it got to the point where Rally Sweden was on, Rally Sweden was off, and we didn't really know what was happening. And because we had, you know, we don't have the budget, really, we were saying, right, okay, well, we can save money on flights. Um, and, you know, if, if, if the rally gets cancelled and things like that, because if we get a Swedish girl, she can drive a couple of hours from our house to there. And, you know, while she's also a great co-driver, she speaks English and has experience in the rally, um, that kind of was the most sensible way to do it. Um, a last-minute decision she'd wanted to do 
um, the rally with me. I'd met her a couple of years ago. Um, she was a girlfriend of Tom Christensen, who obviously one of the top drivers in the JWRC. So she's in the environment. She knows exactly how it works. So I thought, yeah, it'd be cool to um, to sit with her for the for the event. And um, yeah, luckily the rally went ahead. <laughs> um, um, yeah, we were able to we were able to get some experience on snow. That was my first time driving on snow, so that was kind of a massive experience for me. Um, with those kind of tyres. I'd worked for a couple of years um, ice driving up in Swedish Lapland um, as an instructor up there, but that's sort of, the, you know, the tiny little studs that just about stick out the tyres and then going onto these kind of Pirelli-studded tyres was a whole other ballgame for me. So it was nice to have a local in the car who kind of knew exactly, well, I was, I was going to say how to lean on the snow bike, so we didn't really see many of them no, last week. No, I was, you know what, I'm, I'm, I wanted to ask you, so we're going to go slightly left field here, but... Um, uh, you, you talk about driving on ice and snow, but what what was the story behind the Bentley gig? What was that all about? <laughs> the GPI race? What was that? Oh, that was amazing. Um, that was so much fun, actually. That was, I think that came off the back of the CBB show that I had. I think one of the directors of Motorsport, a Bentley, his niece or something like that was a fan of my CBB show. Um, so Aren't we all, Katie? It. Aren't we all? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And I think they, at the time, they were like, they had this plan. They wanted to get more, uh, like, kind of younger people, a different audience. They basically wanted to show how dynamic their car was. Because uh, it is, it really is. You know, it's never, it's kind of often thought as a city cruiser or kind of a chauffeured car. But actually, when you drive it, it really does, you know, drive. Um, so they were they were trying to show how dynamic it was. So they said, um, do you want to go up to Finland? So I went up to Finland to their testing ground, which is sort of, you know, amazing. It's kind of the whole um, VW, Audi, Porsche group, all of that kind of um, thing up there. So they're testing with the prototypes. So I had a few laps on this lake with this um, Bentley Continental. And it was you know, a whole nother level. It's like 550 horsepower when I'm used to sort of an R2. <laughs> um, it was sort of like my brain was like jiggling about in my head when I was accelerating. Um, and But then they came up with this, this uh, they, they said they wanted to do this ice race just to show how dynamic the car was. But I have to say, we followed the rules closely on this one. The regulations were saying that the tyres had to be um, sort of roadworthy or like you could buy them um, as road tyres. But obviously everybody's kind of twisted that a little bit. It was a bit of a fun race, but like Goodwood Festival the speed you know it's not necessarily taken seriously for the competition it's more of a show so all the other teams turn out with a full, full-on kind of seven mil spikes and you know the really narrow tires and we were there with this two-ton car and these really kind of politically correct tires um that were you know it was it was completely like it, i don't know if you've seen any videos i've, seen, I've, I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen an image of it not only did you have short spikes you also had some bloke on a tow rope behind you on skis oh yeah yeah we just skied during so there was some <laughs> crazy swiss guy that has agreed to come on the back of it i was saying look i can't stop this car so <laughs> you yeah. just try and do what you do but don't try and run up the back of it it was so funny it was um it was a completely new experience it was so much fun i love working with them they're trying to um they're trying to work on different products um uh, projects to kind of go off road with them now as well so i really wow. like what they're doing their kind of marketing plan is really expanding it sounds really cool so hopefully i'll be able to work with them a bit more in the future oh fingers crossed fingers crossed but if we can just get back to Obviously, this season, there's, you know, as we record this, there's an incredible amount of uncertainty with regards to, you know, when rallying kind of will, will restart again. Unfortunately for you, you know, your next round was going to be chilly. That was cancelled. We're hearing different things about potentially Sardinia as well, which we won't speculate too much on. So what does what does Katie do to, to, to keep sharp? What, what, what are your mindset at the moment of, of how to keep, you know, in, in the right mindset, I suppose? 
I think, it, yeah, it's definitely so difficult. I mean, I've been speaking to some other athletes in different sports and, yeah, their competitions have been cancelled, but at the end of the day, you know, they can still practice. You know, it's it's not like we, can, we can't get on a bike or we can't, you know, get on. I know it's a bit different for, you know, snowboarders and stuff now to be out to close, but normally it's not a very accessible sport for us to be able to just practice. Um, so I think it's going to be, I actually, I think it's actually going down the route of esports a bit more, isn't it? Um, I actually just got back literally just before they shut the borders from um, Lille, where I was um, testing out the simulator they've got over there. It's an amazing simulator um, with the WRC game on it. Um, and I was completely mind blown. I've, I've sort of, I'm quite bad with technology. I've never had the internet to have a fast Xbox. So I've never really got into that <laughs> side of stuff. Um, but I was absolutely blown away. At first, it feels really foreign. But when you get into it, I think the speed awareness um, and just just the feeling, the muscle memory of driving a car is actually really replicated through a proper sim. Um, so I would like to look into rigs and um, how we could kind of work with them. And I know even some of the rallies we say, let's have an esports competition to keep everyone entertained instead because most drivers do, you know, they do practice on them. So it's something I'd definitely like to look to, um, something like that. But other than that, I think it's just, you know, it's tough. But, you know, we're looking, staring down the barrel of about six months now with no rallies in the juniors if, um, you know, Sardinia doesn't go ahead. Um, and so that's a really long time to not be driving and not testing either. Um, but I think, you know, it's the same for everybody. And obviously, it's, you know, the right decision to not run the events if it's not safe to do so. But, yeah, I guess it would just be fitness stuff and try and work on. There's some apps you can get for reactions and stuff that I work on on my phone. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what can you do? There's not really a lot that you can do, I don't think, in these kind of situations. It's, you know, I've never really seen it before. It's um, a crazy time. It is. If, if you do do the sports stuff, just a bit of a tip. Don't go up against John Armstrong. Do you know what? He's already... I've got, heard a rumour. I've heard a rumour he's a bit handy on them. That's all I'm saying. We've got a JWRC group chat and he's he's already trying to challenge people to competitions on it and we said we're only doing it if he's starting with a puncher. <laughs> well, it, it, to be fair, he's also challenged all, all, all of us on here as well so we've already had messages from him as well. So, yeah, he's... He, he's got he, a bit he, of time on his hands. Spo- <laughs> basically, he's spoiling for a fight. I think that's... That's what he's spoiling for a race. So, yeah, just be careful when you go up against him. Um, listen, Katie, it's, it's been lovely to chat and thank you so much for joining us on Absolute Rally. I really do appreciate it. And uh, hopefully you will come back and we haven't scared you off soon. Oh, no, I've loved it. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem at all. Folks, listen, um, we will be back same time, same place in the podcast all next week. But just a little bit of a top tip. Um, the guy who does all our design and stuff like that, a guy called Dan who did all the prize stuff for us when we did the mugs and the headbands and all the crazy stuff that we did for with Kielder. Um He's now called Ten Tents, and he has very kindly put out basically an adult colouring book of rally cars from various years to help people alleviate boredom. I think this is brilliant, by the way. If you go and follow him on Twitter, you'll find the link of where you can download all these things and you and the kids can get involved and colour stuff in tag us in them as well and we'll share them around because I think it's an incredible thing that he's done so if you could do that I'd really really appreciate it but we will be back same time same place in your little podcast hold with a little bit of a special next week Absolute Rally powered by the Kielder Works team spread the word and download the podcast every week